Warning, the Dub Talk podcast contains language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There will also be spoilers for various anime throughout the course of this episode. Please use caution in case we discuss a series that you haven't finished. Finally, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and may not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Dub Talk, a show where a bunch of nerds get together, talk about the latest greatest in dubs and voiceover in the English language. Um, I am your host today, Roots of Justice. Uh, joining me today is Andrew. I like to feel things. This is a show that's good about feeling things, and we're going to feel a lot of things tonight, friends, including parental love, heartbreak, sadness, and eldritch horror. And we also have Jet. What is this feeling you call love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. I... Now see, I, I thought you were going to go into the I, I believe in a thing called love thing, but different rock reference. See, now I'm sitting here and I'm trying to think about how would, how would, a, how would a stoic, very straight, matter-of-fact Gola man say... What is love, baby? Don't hurt me. What is this emotional I response can't... in my chest? Please, I ref ask you refrain from harming this person. Do not do not harm this person anymore. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. We get. We got it. All right. Anyway. Anyway, there we go. Um, we're talking Somali and the Forest Spirit today. Uh, this was. The actual winner of our seasonal Patreon raffle. Um, and Andrew, who ended up winning the raffle this time around? This was Julia W., who not only has requested this episode, but as a fun fact for you, it is because of the home video release that Julia was actually able to update the Anime News Network casting list so we could actually do a dub talk episode. Oh yeah. Hey. Oh yeah. The guy who also, we did want to do an episode that's like way back when it first. Yeah. So a second fun fact. Um, not only is this the first time I'm on a Patreon episode, uh, this is also my first hosting gig for a Patreon episode, and that is because originally when the show was coming out. I was going to host an episode for this, but we didn't have a sufficient castle to do it. Yeah, there's a specific yeah, there's did. a specific reason for that. Would you like to explain why that was, in fact? How so? Oh, uh, literally uh, the specific reason was the fact that this was an early crunchy roll English dub that they commissioned themselves completely independently from the Funimation partnership, which I believe... Oh, gotcha. Which I believe they were broken up from at the time. So this was one of those shows that they had commissioned for, and I believe they... They didn't actually announce any of the cast at the time. So it was basically uh, just... Uh, I think I think they announced who the leads were, and that was it. They announced yeah. the two leads, and then everybody else... Uh, either announced themselves on social media or they didn't. I think for the longest time I knew of exactly 
five characters in this dub. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I was able to guess like most of the characters. I was able to guess all the characters we'll be talking about, but there were a few side characters who like completely escaped me until the like, like, even outside of, like, our own knowledge and memory, we've kind of learned over the years that t to assume is to make an ass out of you and me. So if you're like, I think I know who that person is, and nobody can really corroborate it, you don't actually know who that person is. Yeah, trust me, I learned that one the hard way. So for, like, a good two-ish years, two, maybe three years, we had pretty much no real complete concrete cast list and then sentai filmworks picked up a bunch of crunchyroll titles for home video and then put them out and then when they put and here we are and then they put it out with a complete picture of the cast list side characters cast and crew and all so now we have a complete puzzle uh our lovely patron julia w compiled that cast list from the dvd from the blu-ray release updated the ann and now here we are today. And there we are. So a brief plot summary courtesy of Anime News Network, which comes from the manga. Uh, in a world ruled by spirits and monsters, humans are persecuted and driven to the brink of extinction. In a certain forest, a golem, the guardian of the forest, and a little girl meet. Their journey as surrogate father and daughter to each other begins. <laughs> and it's basically just like that. This is a charming little show that I kind of started, but didn't really get far in way back when. I think I, I liked, I saw the first two episodes and enjoyed what I saw, but it, it, like nothing immediately had like grabbed me at the time. I thought it was charming and cute. And I figured... Yeah, I had started it, and then the pandemic happened. Yeah, and... Uh God, was it? And my schedule crunched. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, this, okay, um, yeah, okay, yeah. I think for me, it was. I start. It was. I started the show in Japanese. Thought it was fun. I thought it was cute, but like, I guess I didn't think too, too much of it beyond that. Then, and then the dub came out, and I was like, okay, I watch it that way. I, I got a little farther the dub, which I liked, and then I kind of fell behind after a bit. And then, like, we were getting down to crunching for dummies that year, so I was like, okay, I guess I should probably finish the show now. And then I was like, oh, wow, this was a much, much, much better show than I thought it was because of those first three episodes. It is. Yeah. This is a charming show. And I think the thing that was kind of interesting to me about the specific time it was released is that there was, like, a period of time where I think, like, Crunchyroll was picking up and dubbing several shows which were like the pseudo parent experience and you're like oh this is very cute this is very sweet it's a found family thing it's charming it's like a father and daughter and then you're like hey let me look a little into the spoilers of this series and see how it goes and they grow up and they hook up fuck fuck it's it's just it's just it's just that song from the producers 
where Nathan Lane's singing about how he was betrayed. It's that feeling. It's that level of like, oh, this is cute. It's family. It, family is more than just blood. It's charming. It's adorable. What do you mean she grows up faster than a normal childhood? What do you mean they hook up? That's fucking no. No. Stop it. Betrayal. I'm very curious. I'm not going to say what the show was. I'm curious if people can figure that out from those context clues. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, there's okay. I mean, there are like two or three shows like that, so that's not really every. Damn. Yeah, the fact that it, the fact that you don't know, is kind of the worst part. Please put in the comments what show you think I'm talking about below. Do you have any idea how little that narrows the stands? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically that, yeah. But this is a show about an inhuman golem. Literally inhuman. And a, a small human child having a parent and child bond. And I remember when I first watched this, after several times I had been betrayed by shows like I had just described, my immediate thought was, and I hate that this was my immediate thought. This is probably going to be the worst thing I'm going to say tonight, and then we will move on. My immediate first thought was, oh, thank God, he has no dong. This is going to be fine. <sighs> Not wrong. Just because you're correct doesn't mean you're right. That's what I know you want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean... I don't want to be like there are certain things where you can kind of tell if there's a chance of it going that direction because sometimes you really can't. But it's like I would be like flabbergasted if that was like I don't even remotely in a card for this. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a this is an adventure show in a unique world, and it's kind of like a it's like a buddy road trip. A father-daughter story, and kind of like an impending tragedy all at once. While also yeah. being shockingly colorful, creative, and pretty intriguing in its world building. It's basically like Made, of a, made in Abyss, but without most of the things that turn people off from Made in Abyss. I I see what you mean about Made in Abyss, but I want to throw another one in there. I'd say it's also got a bit of that Kino's journey in there, too. Yeah. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. If the thought of Made in Abyss meets Kino's journey excites you, it probably should. I would like to talk yeah. more about this one. And, uh, yeah, talk about it we shall, starting with its ADR staff. Uh, so we have two directors and a scriptwriter. Uh, first of all, we have Kersey Simone, who you would know from such works as Tower of God, Burn the Witch, and Sakugan. And we also have an interesting one in the form of Joel Muller, who you would probably recognize from things like Baki and the second series of Tiger and Bunny. He apparently does a lot of casting and um, direction for prelay work that Studiopolis does. Really? 
And then in terms of script writing, we have Steve Kramer. Another really interesting figure to talk about in terms of script writing, because his credits include things such as Tiger and Bunny, um, which is one of the more recent ones I can list off, but also Monster. Also, Robotech. Okay, oh, yeah. so this... I guess, so I guess, it's, had... I guess it's just that reminder that, yeah, Steve Kramer's been here since, like, beginning beginning so that that is yeah as far as like i feel like people like to throw around somebody being an anime og nothing is more og than fucking robotech yeah i mean i mean okay yeah i mean i've seen i mean i've seen a i mean i've at least seen like the streamlined uh happily Archer dub but he was going on in that so yeah he's been around since like the 80s yeah, I mean, like him, Richard Epcar, Tony Oliver, like they've they've basically been around and seen seen the anime industry grow into what it is. So well, that, it's it's really fascinating to see his name here. It, it used to just be literal pennies. Like I know we talk about like there's a conversation about the industry being particularly like cheap and stuff like that, but it used to be literal pennies. I would imagine. Probably, yeah. Ah, yeah, now you're reminding me. I think anime is actually, like, literally started, like, a basement or something. I'm, I was like, I should do this, considering I did a video on it, but, like, my memory's is scamming me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I've got to say, um... The script writing and direction feels really, and honestly, necessarily low-key. Uh, um, yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it, yeah, it's really, uh, yeah, it's really solid. I think the direction here is uh, really good, like, all the, like, all the characters sound how they need to. Uh, there's, like, uh, there's a pretty good, uh, there's a pretty good amount of distinction between the main cast and even like and even some of the and even some of the background characters I appreciate like they like some of them have like quirky little you know monster voices without going like super over the top of it which I appreciate it kind of gives the it kind of gives the double lots of flavor in a way that I'm kind of used to seeing more of more out of like you know maybe stuff from the late 90s or early 2000s as opposed to like modern does but it's kind of a nice little touch that I appreciate mm-hmm and then, and then script-wise, I think it's pretty good. Is that, again, there's like a pretty good amount of distinction between characters. Like, was that like, so like everything feels how everything feels out good? And uh, I think particular, I think particularly does a pretty all right job at writing Somali that she does. Okay, and that aside from you know maybe saying father instead of like daddy or something, she otherwise sounds like a little kid, which I appreciate because. Uh, yeah, so, uh, because uh, making a little kid sound like a little kid is a much harder script writing thing to do than you might think, and Steve does that really well, so, uh, yeah. yeah. This is an interesting show to kind of revisit, because I know we mentioned a lot about, like, early Crunchyroll dub stuff, which was done either at Studiopolis or at Bang Zoom, and I feel like uh, there's a lot of Studiopolis dubs that have been done by them that I would say are a little on the, um, okay. 
like yeah, uh, yeah, like Saitama say saying okay level okay. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's a lot of the isekais that get hit by that. There's a lot of the isekais, which is very much like a like a lot of the people that work at Sudiopolis are people who have been in this industry for a long, long time. Like actual OGs, like the types of people that have been around long enough that probably just either do not have social media accounts or just don't give a shit about being active and engaged on social media. These are people who have been around for like several decades as far as the work they do. And I feel like a lot of the things that like Crunchyroll gave them to do were kind of isekai which is very, some of these shows might be interesting, and some of them might be, okay, this is the flavor of the week show that you have probably completely forgotten about until I brought it up, where it's like, uh, high school prodigies have come from another world, or did I say to make my average abilities great in the next life, or those yeah, types I, of I, things. Yeah, I just think the only reason I even remember that second one was because Veronica Taylor was in it. I'm like I, I'm forgetting a lot of those, but it's just this level of like, oh, they, they the the stuff they worked on with Crunchyroll were not always the strongest. Like they seemed like pretty middle of the roads pr projects, and sometimes it's a matter of the material, but sometimes it just felt like it was okay output. Yeah, that's why going through this one again, it's kind of like. This is a lot stronger than I was expecting it to, all things considered. I think the strong benefit for this particular dub is that this is a relatively small core cast working on at least engaging material. Well, another thing that I kind of wanted to bring up in terms of the direction and script writing is... Um, so, on the one hand, while the... While it does sort of fall into the pitfall of the Crunchyroll Studiopolis stubs where the double casting is kind of rampant with the secondary cast, it's not quite as noticeable as something like... Oh, throttling. My Next Life as a Villainous? That or um, Tokyo Revengers. Fair enough. I I really like... I do enjoy the dub of My Next Life as a Villainous, but my thought process is like every other character is charmingly. Mm, yeah. It also think, it, it helps that like the incidentals in the show feel very incidental in that this is a this is an NPC in a in a big vast world or this is a straggler or this is a guy that's going to get his ass kicked they will disappear as soon as they are off frame. Where I feel like the, yeah. the issue with a lot of those other projects is that these are named characters who have to interact with each other. I remember a particular actress do for their acting reel was like, I'm doing a scene where two characters I voice are playing off of each other in a scene. And that was one of those Studiopolis Isekai projects. Yeah. But I think... Um, I can I can thankfully report that it's... 
only kind of noticeable with Somali, but at the same time, like, the actors do a pretty good job of making the background characters they play distinct. Like, I think... That's a, yeah, that's um, a, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think it's a thing of, if you're familiar with these characters... I mean, if you're familiar with these actors... Like, you could probably pick them out of a crowd, yeah. Yeah, 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 you'll be able to pick them out, but, like, they're doing distinct enough voices that they don't sound like whatever major characters are playing. So, like... Yeah. So, like, it's not particularly distracting. But I think... I definitely do think this is a pretty interesting dub, and I think the core actors, like, the, the core crew... And even, like, the incidental characters are strong and distinct enough that they really left an impact. Several of the ones we're going to talk about tonight, I really was, like, incredibly impressed with their work. I actually think it was a lot stronger of a dub than I was expecting this to be. Hmm. And I think with that, we can probably start talking about those characters. Um, so... I'm only really going to introduce three groups of characters because they're like the ones that have a couple episodes and an arc to them. Uh, but we are going to probably talk about a, at least a couple more as the course of the episode goes on. And we're actually bringing them into conversation. Um, first of all, we have the arc in the desert where Golem and Somali are trying to travel to the edge of the desert where there has been rumored to be a settlement of humans. Um, I should also mention the the uh, the core mission of Somali and Golem, and that is Golem is trying to get Somali to a group of humans to take care of her because he is within the last year of his life cycle. Uh, Golems typically live about nine, uh, about a thousand years, and he has... Um, he is in his 999th year. He has roughly 300 days left to function before he dies. It's basically, this is a small, defenseless human child in a world that hates human. And I need to find her a home where she can be safe and happy. Which, the more you go through the show, I really do not think she would be safe or happy with a colony of humans. But that's, that's, we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that. So in the desert, um, Somali and Golem meet two bird people named Uzoi and Hytora. Um, Uzoi is of the, the monster category Harpy. And I can't remember the, the group that they put Hytora in. I think he was—he was just like a a birdkin, and that was kind of their cover story. Gotcha. But as we as that kind of implies, he's not actually a bird person at all. He is completely human. Um, but due to the act of eating Uzoi's mother, has been infected with feathers across his face that has scarred him. I feel like the phrase Karma's a bitch is almost an understatement for Hytora. Mm. So, Hytora kills Uzoi's mother in a fit of panic. And because he and his family are hidden out in a cave and starving, they decide, oh, we're gonna eat her. 
Um, his wife and daughter die in the process because the, the feathers that infect them infect their throat and they suffocate. Um, he is not so lucky and it just hits him in the face. It, it just grazes him while he watches his wife and daughter die painful, horrible deaths as the child of the harmless woman he fucking beat and consumed finds him and is and is left alone in this world so he basically takes her on and becomes her dad out of sheer guilt it's rough yeah it, it felt god you know what i was thinking of like during that whole episode i was like wow this this kind of cute show suddenly became very chimera ant arc yeah yeah and uh, that really doesn't go away after this episode. Mm-hmm. And then our and then our other batch of characters shows up in the second episode, and then they are a major presence in the finale. Um, they are two oni, one named Shizuno and one named Yabashira. Um, they're kind of a wisecracking duo. The show never makes it clear if they're brothers or you know two brothers chilling in a hot tub. As, 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 I think I think it's like uh, one is like an artist and the other is like explicitly like um, that I guess like works for him was supposed to be the implication I think. I would say that these two have a very they are bickering married couple energy straight up. Yeah. You, you've got like the bread yeah. you've got kind of got like the actual like breadwinner who's just kind of like a helpless idiot on their own and then you've got the other one who's kind of like the house husband who could actually take care of the things that need yeah. to be done but is also <laughs> not afraid to call the other one out on being lazy yeah, and yeah, stupid yeah to, yeah to which i was gonna save this up for later but why not Jeez, Somali, how could we get three dads? <laughs> she kind of does get three. Okay, I'd, I'd argue two and a half. <laughs> Still. Uh, and then we have our leads, uh, Somali and Golem. Somali is a little girl who was... Um, her backstory is revealed toward the end of the series where she was part of a shipment of humans... It's unclear if she was about to be sold as a slave or as food. She was absolutely going to be sold as something because she was chained up and she basically escaped because the driver was under the influence and literally killed everybody in that cart. And through his ability to communicate with animals, Golem finds Somali and at first tries to ward her away but she ain't having none of that yeah she kind of like immediately imprinted onto him kind of at first sight which leads me to believe she has had a pass with a golem but they don't really say as much in the show but she treats golem as her father and through their interactions and uh, Golem's realization that even with with his rapidly diminishing lifespan, she is not going to be protected. 
in the event he finally succumbs to time. So he decides, I'm going to go ahead and take her, I'm going to take her to a human village, and then I can die in peace. That, Which, of course... The greatest, the greatest laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Yep. The, go so. the golem's a really cool golem, by the way. Like, I feel like... Oh, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of them that kind of treat the more, like, either mechanical or, like, boring. Like, I feel like this, this universe's take on golems is... kind of goes into the mystical elements of them, which I actually really appreciate. Yeah. So... Introducing the actors for our main core cast of characters. Like I said, we're going to be talking about more over the course of the series. And we're going to name actors, but I'm not going to go so far into the the roles they played for them. Except for one. Uh, so, Hytora is played by Michael Yurchak. Uh, you would know Michael Yurchak from such roles as Ungo Sakaguchi from Bungo Stray Dogs. Hawksai from the Viz Dub of Sailor Moon. Tenma Unomiya from Twin Star Exorcist. And also one that I wanted to mention, um, Toby, a.k.a. the adult Obito from Naruto Shippuden. Get the fuck uh, out, what? Yeah. Yeah, specifically, he was the first one, like, Toby before we found out he was, you know, secretly Obito and then Monroe. Oh my god, I fucking missed that one just because I, I didn't see the other roles. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Holy shit, what? <laughs> and Uzoi is played by Christina Valenzuela under the credited name Christina V. Um, you would know Christina Valenzuela from such roles as Vivi from Vivi Floretti's Song, uh, Sakura Mato from Fate Save Night and Limited Blade Works, and Darkness from Konosuba. And because I compared uh, that whole arc to the Chimera Ant arc, I'm going to throw in Kilwa Zoldic from Hunter Hunter. Yeah, also Kilwa. Uh, Yabashira is played by Kyle McCarley. Uh, he has played characters such as Parison Hill from Hunter x Hunter, uh, John Steinbeck from Bungo Stray Dogs, and uh, Mob from Mob Psycho 100. Shizuno is played by Lucian Dodge. You would know him from such characters as Waver Velvet from the Fate franchise, uh, Akaza from Demon Slayer, and Mahito from Jujutsu Kaisen. Somali is played by Karina Bediger. Uh, you would know Karina from such roles as Magical Cat from the second season of Tiger and Bunny. Uh, Tatsumaki, a.k.a. Terrible Tornado, from the second season of One Punch Man. And Aya Tadamaru from Kimono Jihen. And because I'm not going to shut up about it, and it's going to be my biggest point of reference for tonight, they are Mizuki from I, the Somnium Files, and I, the Somnium Files, Nirvana Initiative. Yep, there's that, and also because I feel like uh, people would complain if we did it. Uh, yes, they are also by about a good impact, which is the thing most people would probably know. Uh, okay, look, yeah. look, look. Genshin Impact is Genshin Impact. We don't need to suck it off any more than the rest of the internet does. <laughs> and, but I mean, uh, uh, Andrew... The Genshin Impact fans didn't gain the Game Awards ballots for us not to mention it. Watching the episode of Fan go at it was certainly interesting. Oh boy, that was that was great. 
That was great. I've seen a shocking amount of people shipping Genshin characters with Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog, by the way. The internet's a strange place. Every day we know for those Sonic assets that Sonic Hedgehog will marry you if you fulfill his very specific conditions. So, you know what? Sure, why not? Alrighty. And last but not least, uh, the Golem is played by one Kyle Hebert. You would know Kyle Hebert from such roles as Sosuke Aizen in Bleach, Fat Gum in My Hero Academia, and Gohan, the adult version, in Dragon Ball Z. Fun fact, I just learned from a random article on ANN from the year 2000, there was a rumor they were going to try and get Freddie Prince Jr. to be adult Gohan, like, 22 years ago? And I'm ki- uh, kind of glad that fell through. Try? I'm kind of glad I that mean... fell through because, like, I, I can't imagine... That being anybody other than Kyle A. Bear, to be honest. I mean, I don't know if it was true or not, but I remember, I remember hearing stories way back when, like, I think it was, like, around when the Abe, when Funny First Applied to Abe movie, something about, like, I, I don't, either them trying to do it or people joking that they should get Robin Williams, like, in there because he was a pretty big game of him. I think that might have been the um, live-action movie ADV tried to get off the ground. Man, the anime industry's got some fascinating, weird stories, but... Anyways, I, I just need to bring that up, because I'm like, that's so wild. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I may never forget Brian Cranston got his start in anime. That he did. That he did. And Power Ranger villains. Everybody's got a story. But honestly, like, bringing up the, the three groups, like... The story in the desert is probably, like, it, it's, to me, it's the emotional core of the entire series of Somali and the Forest Spirit. I, I would actually 100% agree, because everything about Uzloi and High Torah is very overt parallels between Golem and Somali. Mm -hmm. Just somehow even more tragic than literal child being sold into slavery or food. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And, like, the thing of it is, like, the parallels work so well because, like, not only is it, you know, a monster, either a monster taking care of a child or a human taking care of a monster, like, it's... It's also that kind of character arc of guilt for both High Torah and Golem paralleling against one another. With with High Torah guilty that he basically murdered Uzoi's mother, and Golem, whether whether he realizes it or not, is feeling guilty for the fact that eventually at some point he will have to leave Somali behind, and it may not be his choice when it happens. Mm. There's a lot of great parallels between these two groups of characters, and I really, really enjoyed a lot of their performances in particular. Christina V is kind of very established at this point, but I adore this kind of bratty bird girl she's playing. Uh, I like. Uh, 
Because uh, yeah, I enjoyed Somali's friendship with a lot of characters her age. Like, I really like, we're not going to talk about them tonight. I adore uh, Alex Cesares. Is that how you say their name? Alex yeah. Cesares as uh, Kikila, the cute little bunny boy from the uh, prior arc. And I like seeing those two interact together and seeing Somali get to befriend like children her age and having to have like this childhood friendship dynamic with like a little kid who's trying to be brave and a girl who's just kind of like naturally sweet and kind of bold like she like she's traveled a lot at this point like Kikula is a kid trying to be brave but kind of a little bit of a scaredy cat and Somali is just a good girl who has been through a lot and can handle herself better than she lets on. Mm-hmm. And I like that dynamic, but Uzoi presents a very different dynamic, which is A, what happens when you deal with somebody who's kind of a little bit of a brat, and how do you handle dealing with somebody who's a little bit of a brat? Also, how do you deal with near murder? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, she's kind of under the impression that, hey, she's human. If I kill you and Hytora drinks your blood, he'll get better and stop dying. So I need to kill you to save my dad. Which creates comp- complicated emotions in a person when you realize, oh no, I enjoy having you as my friend. I hate this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to her credit, Christina gets that conflict across really well. Oh, absolutely. And, and the and the thing I like about it as well is like Kikula does in a sense earn or not Kikila, uh Uzoi. Mm-hmm. I'm reading the wrong section of my notes. Um Uzoi does not Get off, um, does not get away with. She does not get away with attempted murder scot free, yeah. Yeah. She does have to earn her forgiveness with Somali. Which she does by turning around and saving Somali's life when she falls off a cliff. You think Gollum would have straight up, like, tried to kill her? I mean, if he saw what happened, maybe. Yeah. Uh, definitely if Somali did not st- step in, he would have considered it. I would not have been surprised, yeah. And honestly, Michael Yurchak is probably one of the strongest actors of the arc. And that's saying something, because Christina Valenzuela, Christina Valenzuela did probably one of the highlight performances of her career with Uzoi. Like, it is that good. Damn, that is that is high praise there, my man. That, yeah, that, that, yeah, that is really high praise. But it, I mean, it, but it is definitely a really good performance. Um, but and yeah, also, Michael Yurchak, um, just as this sullen, tragic character. Nobody knew who he was until he put on the mask. Not unlike Toby. Which I, I, oh my god, I can't believe that's fucking Toby. Yeah, I like Michael's performance, and it's like this really kind of nice vulnerability to it, where he comes off as, you know, this very quiet man initially, and you can tell that there's 
Like, something he's hiding, but you're not quite sure if it's sinister or not. And you find out that, no, no, what he's hiding is, no, no, what he's hiding seems pretty normal, and it's Uzo who's apparently up to stuff. And then we find out that, no, no, he actually did have something pretty messed up going on this whole time. I would say the specific thing I like about Michael's performance as Hightora is he sounds like a man in his late 20s who has, like, aged 30 years. Like, he's got, yeah. he's got that level of somebody who is not physically that old but like the amount of trauma stress and just sheer fear has made him age considerably and he sounds like somebody who is very strained who is very sickly somebody who has definitely been through a hell of a lot and you could definitely tell the innocence has long since left them yeah it's it's frankly you can kind of tell like he truly loves and adores Uzoi enough because there's that level like even though he feels that guilt that genuine childlike innocence is probably the only thing anchoring him to this mortal plane anymore yeah and in fact it is basically Uzoi who has to pull him off the cliff um, because he essentially tries to sacrifice himself to save Uzoi, Somali, and Golem from a sand shark. Oh, um, yeah, by the way. Which uh, apparently is a creature in the desert. Yeah, I, I love the fact that this is just a fantasy world and that they can do some very strange things with it. Where it's just like, oh, that's no big deal. Here's your your big flower and here's just a bunch of things. Here's a sand tornado. Here's a sand shark. Don't worry about it. It's fantasy and monster. Why does it have guilt? Shh, 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 you don't need to know why it has gills. Does it actually have gills? I didn't even notice that. It had gills, yeah. What are the gills for, then? Is that... I don't know. Does it... The less you think about it, but it's there. Does it... As, as, it doesn't as, breathe as, in the sand like water. Is that how it works? As, as, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. While you were talking, I was just flashing back to the Gimbal uh, Toro Pinocchio because I watched that last night. It was really good. Okay. Mm, I need to get to that. I also need to get to that. But anyways, it's a fantasy world. Don't matter. Just don't look at the gills. It's already dead. But then just, you know, Uzoi protects him, and then absolutely goes at him for thinking that dying would mean she would forgive him. I, no. I kind of adore the climax of that, because she basically overhears the story about what happened to her mother and all that, and she's basically like, killing yourself will not make me happy. You will atone by taking care of me and protecting me for the rest of your life. Which is, in one sense, like, kind of tragic, but also really charmingly sweet in a uniquely strange way. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uniquely strange is a thing we're going to be probably saying a lot about the characters of this show. I will say this. I wanted to say... I wanted to say, like, when we're talking about, like, a sort of pseudo-father-daughter story, adventure story, I wanted to throw out the comparison of The Last of Us, but that didn't quite feel right with the Golem and Somali. 
I will say that feels a lot, lot more accurate to say Ellie and Joel are paralleled in some, a relationship like Hytora and Uzoi. Which is a much more complicated found family relationship built on a little bit of deceit, mistrust, and a shit ton of trauma. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I it, yeah, I, I really do think Christina and Michael especially are absolute highlights to this dub and really, really enjoyed their characters, their arcs, and especially their performances too. Yeah. I also kind of think... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was also going to say, we'll talk more about it in a bit. I kind of adore how this show tackles humans and... I'm going to have to use this word. I hate this as a noun. The grotesque? Mm-hmm. I find the grotesque is an extremely clumsy noun, by the way. There's just something about it that's very clumsy. As, 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 I, as I read on the bird side, it does sound appropriately racist. It so does yeah. It does sound appropriately racist, which is kind of where I was going to go in this, in that I kind of love the way the show approaches the concept of people versus like their entire like races and cultures in that humans and these mythical monster creatures are fucked up in how they approach the different in society and this show is not afraid to call out humanity in regards to that they are weak and frail and they will hate and kill what they do not understand. Yes, uh, yeah, that is like literally the entire background for this. So, like, the humans met, like, all the monster people, were immediately, uh, were immediately scared of them, tried to wage war, and then uh, the humans got themselves killed out. So, uh, that didn't go well. That didn't go well. But also, there's just that level of, like, there are groups of, like, these mythical monsters. That, like, will go out and try to exterminate these people, eat them, and sell them to the highest bidder to kind of satiate their own greed and desires, too, because they do have the strength. And there are true, they are people who mean well, who truly do mean well, but this cycle of fear, misunderstanding, and unwillingness to hear each other out leads to this violent cycle and will continue to perpetuate this violent cycle until you have understanding and empathy. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, to which, I don't know, we are talking about her, but uh, shout out to Laura Post as... Uh... The creepy keeper wife. Uh, she was really good there. Oh, the creep. Yeah. Okay, I I need to I need to preface this fucking conversation. Um, so we were talking about the this old witch lady who was recounting the story of her ancestor, which was kind of relevant to what was going on, and she was played by Laura Post. And I was like, hey, it's very nice that Laura Post is in a show where she's being very nice to children. 
And then it turned out she was playing another character in the show where not only was she not nice to children, she was actively trying to sell this child to people that wanted to eat her and even had her own song. And I'm like, it's just the fucking fur. It's a scaly Isabella from the Promised Neverland. I, I realized that. I was like, fuck. It's just Isabella. Oh, no. Uh, and like well, the uh, and like the whole save me the liver thing was kind of like good in a creepy way too. Oh, it's it's this is a very sweet show, but it is not it, it does not fuck around with throwing its punches. Mm-hmm. Which actually, I kind of want to segue to the bringing up uh, the story of uh, what was the, her ancestor's name. Uh, Theodora? Uh, Theodoro and Horatio. Or Horizo. Horizo. Why did I say Horatio? Horizo. Where, that's the other golem we, golem we see in the show, uh, played by, uh, Ed Bo- Edward Bosco, and Sarah Williams was Theodora, and Mia, I'm gonna throw out, was Jeremy Lee, which was a really great story of seeing the perspective of witches can kind of pass witches are like sort of like inhuman they are humanoid but they are pale magical humanoid creatures but they can pass in human society so when Theodora kind of wanders upon a human sanctuary which is being managed by Horizo like there's that level of like oh you're human like us right it's like well it's like are you human? Are you human? Because if you're not, we don't take kindly to your... T- she is human. You leave her alone. And there's this... There's this fucking great... I really love that because there's like this genuine love, peace, and understanding of a culture that can get along. But it's propagated by the fact that people... The human beings are stupid, ignorant creatures. Yes. So, like, when it's... I also kind of love the fact that, like, they just capture a giant monster that's like, I mean you no harm, and they're like, kill it! It's fucking talking! It's talking like a person! Rip its fucking throat out! And, like, even, like, the innocent little children are getting indoctrinated in this culture of violence and fear against the other where even like the cute little girl she's defriend- befriending is throwing rocks at this fucking corpse is like wow and honestly like Jeremy's Mia even um like at the end of that arc after she gets saved because she has to use her witch's broom to save her from falling to her death and then the people turn on her, and, like, you can start to see, like, in Mia's head, she's starting to put things together, but it's not quite there yet, and it, does, and it doesn't come soon enough for it to not end somewhat tragically. It's, it, to me, that story in particular was that children are not inherently hateful. Children can be taught to open their minds and open their hearts, while adults are stubborn, 
fearful, and incredibly violent and racist to things they do not understand. And I, I'm kind of impressed at how strong this show at, is at committing to that message. And it kind of really impressed me. And yes, also I thought Sarah Williams as the witch was very cute. And I really liked Edward Bosco as uh, the other golem. And I love the way they approach the golem speak is that they are very formal, big word inanimate in that they are I don't describe it they are not they are less robotic and more Drax from Guardian of the Galaxy if that makes sense they are stoic in the literal definition of the word yes they are not distant, they are just extremely literal beings. And I find, I think that's a very interesting approach. But yes, I really like that particular flashback with, uh, I thought Sarah Williams, Edward Bosco, and Jeremy were really good, and I thought that was a really strong story addition and universe-building thing for this series. Right. And I kind of want to move the conversation over to the the two Oni, because, like, we had mentioned that they, they kind of bicker like a married couple, and, like, Lucian Dodge and Kyle McCarley just do a really good job with them. Like, Yabashira's sort of the bigger, more mature of the two, and Shizuno's sort of the the creative one. He's he's small like a child, but he he's also... He displays a maturity that belies his appearance. He does. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, like he's well, like explicitly he is the one who notices for his etymology to him. I think she's so. Uh, I I love these two so much. I think Yabashira is such a good boy, and I think Shizuno is such a little shit. In the mm-hmm. how do, in the specific sense. That I feel like Shizuno... Shizuno kind of knows he's smart. And he's arrogant about that. And there's a specific thing that Lucian does. That this dub does. That really cements to me that level of like... Cocky... Arrogance. And just like belief in themselves. Where it's like, I know I'm hot shit... And it's the way Lucian likes to roll his R's when he describes himself as the great Shizuno. And it's not just great Shizuno, it's the great Shizuno. And I'm going to be honest, like, a thing that I happen to catch on to with Lucian Dodge's performance that I really appreciate, it feels very cat-like. It feels very sly, but not... It's not sly in the sense that he's trying to deceive you, the audience, or them, the characters. He's just a crafty character who is able to discern character interactions from a glance and doesn't play all of his cards initially. 
You know, that's kind of even funnier remembering that in episode one, there is an evil cat played by Kyle McCarley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I, I kind of love that random little cat where it's like, ah, oh, you are human. I will eat you. You will be in my belly. And Somali's just like, aw, kitty. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Stop petting me. You just leave me alone. And then he's just purring like, oh, that's so fucking good. I love how there's just demon cats in this world that are just actual cats. But I 100% agree with you in that Lucian as Shizuno is 100% very cat-like, catty even. Uh, yeah. he He's kind of lazy, but a lot more brilliant, empathetic, and caring than he lets on. But he is not afraid to be a lazy asshole and knock shit over if he feels like it that day. Yeah. <laughs> but, and and then yeah, Yab- Yabashira Kyle McCarley as Yabashira is just he is just dad. He is the other dad. He's I would how do I describe it? Okay, so let's talk about the three dad scale. So Shizuno is bordering on big brother status. But there's a little bit of dad in there too. He yeah. is. He's, he is he's the uncle. He, he has he, no oh my god. He, he, yeah, he, he's. Okay, I would say he's like the friend dad. He, I think uncle's kind of the, the fucking na- na- that nails it. Yeah. He, he's the friendly uncle. He is the one that doesn't have to actually take care of anything. But it's like, hey, yo, you playing Super Smash Brothers? Yo, pass me that GameCube controller. I want to show you my six skills and destroy this child. It, um, it also, in a sense, um, I saw a post about Mob Cycle 100 and the relationship between Mob and, um... Reagan? And Reagan. Where it's just like... Or, it, or a picture of them was used in context of this. It's like... Yeah, um, more uncle-like relationships. I have no responsibility to him, but I'm taking him out later for lunch and getting him Hot Wheels. <laughs> that feels like Shizuno in a nutshell. Oh, that's relationship to Somali. Oh, that's very strong and very accurate. Uh, meanwhile, like, Yabashira is the more responsible one. He... Yab- they both... They both care about each other, and they end up coming to care about Golem and Somali, but Gabashira is the one who sort of has the more level head. So, it's like this. Shizuno is great, he's gonna take you out to go get Wendy's, and he's gonna tell you about all these fun stories, and then you're gonna have sing-alongs in the car. But what are you gonna do when you actually need a fucking meal? Like, real food! That fucking Wendy's fry isn't going to sustain you when you need protein, motherfucker. Do you think that this man over here with the three face knows how to make eggs? I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, the metaphor is technically ads, but we actually do see seasonal cooking as a production. So, okay, let's put it like this: I believe Shizuno knows how to cook. I do not believe that. I, no, here's he, he. A he doesn't, but B the reason Shizuno knows how to cook 
is that Yabashira nagged him to hell and back to learn how to cook. I could see it. Look, I look. Some days I work very hard. You're, you're gonna have to make your own food yourself, okay? Gosh damn it! Like you're big boy, you can do it yourself. We have the fucking tools. It's like your big brain can take a break and just make some fucking eggs. Damn it! And then he didn't eat for three days until he's like, okay, please, please tell me how to cook. It's like, thank you. I really like these two Oni because I I hundred percent believe they're bickering camaraderie. Like they may be brothers, they may be extremely platonic because it's not gay, but they they have the exact married couple dynamic. It's not yeah. it's not quite like boomer comedian complaining about his wife level like married couple but it's just that level of like you could tell they bust each other's balls a little bit and all that on the regular and they have fun yes but yeah kyle mccarley i think has a, this very charming he's got this very charming i'm a little too like how do i describe it it's like Kyle McCarley has the energy of he he comes off as being fed up with his bullshit, but he honestly isn't. He's got that level of, like you can tell he enjoys this relationship, and you can tell he really does love and care for Somali in the end, and they really do grow together as this interesting little found family. I, I also kind of like how Kyle. I also like how Yabashira is absolutely the one that kicks ass and takes names. And I kind of love Kyle being this very sly, cocky guy. Like when they're, when the human hunters are trying to come from him, it's like, oh, don't mind me. There's nobody here. You're being very rude in the middle of the night. And then he's like, see, nobody was here. And then he just goes to kick all of their asses. It's great. Mm, yeah. I definitely love the way Kyle kind of like holds himself as Yabashira as this very friendly, openly available person who's just kind of a little bit tired of dealing with Shizuno's bullshit. And I think it's very fun. It is very much so. God, and fucking... I, I do love that level of, like, cocky arrogance that, that Lucian has as Shizuno, but it's also that level of, like, being a snide little shit... But it's also very funny when he kind of gets put in his place. Like, I think one of my favorite moments was, like, uh, when the axolotl Laura Post, totally not Isabella Scaly lady comes in. She's like, oh, you must be the child. Aw, aren't you so cute? You're growing up big and strong. And, he, and he's getting picked up and treated like a baby. He's like, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a small adult, thank you. And it's, like, that level of, like, that cocky, like, the cocky arrogance and that level of, like, him being so smart and talented kind of fades away when somebody's holding him up in the air and literally baby-talking him, like, who's a big boy? You are. Yes, you are. And he's like, I don't, I don't I'm like this. 30, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I'm a big boy. God. 
now I'm just imagining just Shizuno doing the fucking uh, ma- uh, f- Master Shake thing. I am 30 or 40 years old and I do not need this right now. <laughs> but, yeah, I, th- I feel like we brought it up earlier, but I think it absolutely also works holding out that Lucian is great at doing the dramatic stuff too, especially when he's opening up with Gollum about the fact that he was able to pick up that Somali's human and just that level of like like he did not make snide comments he just openly listens and was like empathetic to her struggle and his impending demise and the struggle that he's dealing with the fact that he only has so much time left and he's basically like you have only so much time left are you going to leave her or are you going to stay with her to the bitter end it's your choice i won't stop you but please think yeah. it over very carefully yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and, yeah, to, uh, yeah to his credit during those conversations like the, uh, so, uh, like as much as she's you know, is kind of you know like active a lot of the time like so, uh, he does he does immediately offer to look after somali and something happens in the goal in which that was like, you know, good idea for something up this nice. Yeah, and I mean, in that moment, in those last two episodes where you're at, like, Shizuno is directly confronting Golem about his plan. And basically, like, you know, hey, I know you don't have a lot of time left, but is this really the right thing for Somali to take her to somebody who will care for her? Like, don't you want to see... Don't you now have the ambition to see her grow? You know? I I do very much like the fact that it's basically... He does not choose the coward's way, which is basically to abandon her. And instead... I will be here until my last last moment until my body breaks and i can no longer see the sky i will be there for this child until the very end and god fucking damn it that that last episode really did get me yeah Mm -hmm. uh but more on the point like when when the annoying shit gag character like has an actual point you listen yeah, to which, yeah, to which I we make fun of this. We make fun of this particular line a lot, and I'm kind of surprised that I'm actually said it that right. But good on Lucian for being able to say, "I will protect that smile," like, and make it sound sincere. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you're right because I'll protect that smile. It's like I want to protect that smile. It's kind of like something you do where it's like. It's like precious cinnamon roll, too good and pure for this world and all that. So it's kind of like beam status, but you're right. That is a very, the delivery and the execution of saying I want to protect that smile is very genuine and earnest. And that was pretty impressive. I'll, I'll give Lucian that for sure. Mm-hmm. So I think it's actually time to start moving on to... Somalian golem themselves. Um, I would at least uh, throw in at least maybe like a group in between, just saying I like the I like the witches coven sisters. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, there's not much to say 
in the matter, just because, like, they get maybe an episode? They get an episode and a half. Yeah. I think Hazel I think Hazel is hot and I, I agree with Jet that it's very funny that Praline is basically just tomboy tales. Uh, she is, boy. yeah. Which Hazel is Renee Dorian and Praline is the literal iconic Colleen O'Shaughnessy herself. Yep. They're like, fun. I, yeah, yeah, like. I like pr- uh, Praline having like a that really kind of haughty tomboyish personality and like Hazel kind of being the force that keeps her in check. That I'd say, I'd say their relationship is pretty similar actually to that of, uh, Shizuno and and Yabashira, except this is overtly stated. They are siblings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do also kind of want to throw a shout out to, um, Alex Cazares and actually Ray Chase as well and um, uh, as Kikula's dad. Yeah. For the, yeah, uh, no. For the restaurant I, arc. I think that was charming because that was that was Golem seeing a literal father son dynamic like naturally as in birth parent that is there for their kid and has to deal with the struggles of being a parent that won't always get it right because because it's very clear golem's not always gonna get it right and but as a parent you're never gonna get it right all the time you're never gonna be perfect but you just have to be open enough to understand either why they were upset with you or to open openly admit you were wrong and say you're sorry and that's a healthy relationship is that sometimes you are wrong and just need to say I'm sorry on both sides or one or the other. Yeah. As, as long as you can open up and admit that and let it slide, you can heal and have that healthy, caring relationship. Uh, yeah, I thought Nick Leader Celebrity of that was uh, really good. I- I, I I really liked it there. He he had a, he had good dad energy, and then, and then, and then in contrast, uh, Ray Chase as Musica was. And the, the, I mean, it's funny that like the first time I watched the show, I would probably not have immediately picked up on it with Ray Chase. Honestly, same actually, I, yeah. I said, yeah, yeah, and I think I think even this time I was like, it's probably Ray Chase, but maybe it's Matt Burst. Or then I heard a couple more lines, and it's like, okay, yeah, it's Ray Chase. It's definitely a yeah. gruffer. It's definitely a gruffer growl. Get it? Yeah. Get it. Because yeah. he's because he's a, a wolf man. Because he, he's a big, sexy, furry, furry wolf man. Like that. That is that is somebody would look at that wolf man and just go like, wolf. Yeah, and I do appreciate that he's uh, that he's also one of the first to like call out Golem on like, hey, to, uh, when uh, every. When like Tamali tries to give Golem like the flower and he starts holding her, and like and like this big scary wolf fan is like the first one to go Golem about like hey you know you're just trying to do something nice for her nice for you you don't have to be mean. But yeah, I I really enjoy Alex and Mick and Ray Chase is pretty fun too. And you know it's interesting coming back to Somali and the Forest Spirit and particularly the performance of Alex Cazares as Kikila. After Cyberpunk 
and like the big role that's gonna probably put Alex Hazar is a bit more into the spotlight see, with Rebecca. See, that's the public answer. The one I enjoy and thought was amusing. I thought it was very funny seeing another show where Karamatsu and Chibita were friends. Meanwhile, I have more prior knowledge than either of you because... Because while the rest while the rest of the internet might have hated that dub and barely watched it, I was one of the bold who watched the glitter voice dub, so I know, so I knew who she was from that. Mm. Ah, but yeah, good. Yeah, good. I probably should have gotten to that at some point. At some point, it is it, it is certainly a trip. I will say that. Anyways, uh. I'd say now it's about time to journey on to our lead pair, which. Yeah. Which one should we start with? Because I feel like each of them are definitely the meatiest ones to talk about. So I guess my question is, which one do you wish to start on? Kyle or Karina? Uh, I think we're probably going to have a little more to talk about with Golem, so let's start with Somali. Okay, cool. God, I have so much more appreciation for Karina after playing the Somnium File games, because holy (laughs) fucking shit. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, yeah. This is interesting because I think like the first time I saw this, um, I, I, I mean, I'm not sure if I, I think it was either, I think it was either I hadn't heard of Karina before or I only recognized her name. I mean, I only recognized her name from like maybe one or two things. And then I think it was like literally like maybe immediately after this, Genshin Impact came out, and then they blew up significantly. Yeah, which is just kind of funny to me. I. And- uh, <laughs> And the thing I'm probably most impressed with with Corinna's performance, um, they they sound like a child. Like Somali is a very young child. Yes, as I uh, yeah, that was kind of an interesting thing for me going back to this time because again, having played a having played both uh, the Somnium Files and seeing like a decent amount of Gen- and playing a decent amount of Genji then back. I was also I was always trying to come back to this and expecting it to be like the Pymon voice or something. But it's like, oh no, this is like an actual child voice. Like I can hear a little bit of their music key, but it's like a lot more childish than even that. Like cause, and, uh, cause it's really nice to hear. The youngest Mizuki is a twelve year old child. is like a twelve year old kid. This is Somali Somali is between the ages of like six to eight. I would probably say somewhere between probably three and six. I would say six specifically because, uh, you know, your teams are falling out when you're six. So oh, yeah. Six. Okay, that's fair. I'm, I'm going to, yes, I'm going to say six myself too, which is impressive that it is similar to what I heard of their work as Mizuki, but also still more distinct higher pitched and even more precious child and the whole spectrum of their baby girl absolute sweet cinnamon roll kind of little bit of a bratty kid and also just the genuine anxiety the trauma that comes with this kind of a journey because there's as many times as like I'd say Somali made me smile and I was rooting for this little kid. 
where it's like, I feel so bad for the hand they've been dealt in life. But everything about Karina's delivery as Somali is absolutely precious. Unbelievably, yeah. like, truly, truly precious, I will protect this child with my life voice. Which is so incredible to know her range and seeing the types of characters they can do. Like, I, I've really walked away from, like, I, the Somnium Files, and now watching this dub coming away and saying, God damn, Karina's a friggin' tour de force of a voice actor. Absolutely, absolutely hire them for more things. They are good. And I think the I think the most praise I can lob toward their performance as Somali is it's not saccharine like at all. It is just sweet enough, but it's also like Somali yeah. is a very complex character. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think like uh, going back to what I mentioned before with the script, I think one thing I appreciate is that that, that there is like a pretty good time like to do like even the way she speaks generally. Like sometimes you'll like mix up words or stuff like that, which I think is like I I, I do enjoy much. the fact that like. I do enjoy the fact that Gollum naturally uses very sophisticated big words, and he'll say he'll say something like "Do not exacerbate your stomach like that," and then she'll and then she'll be like, "I'm not gonna excavate anything. What are you talking about?" Which is like, a very yeah, it's a it's a very childlike behavior. I would I would say this is a show. Or at least, I would definitely say whoever wrote Somali and the Forest Spirit understands children. Yeah. Because I, because I will say, I have watched. Uh, how, how do how do I say this? Uh, academically, um, a fuck ton of anime. Let's go with that. I've watched a fuck ton of anime over the years, and I can absolutely say that there are shows out there in this medium that do not know how a fuck a child would interact. Because sometimes these kids are good, but sometimes these kids are almost, like, too good and too pure and all that. Yeah. And, then and then sometimes they are also, like, way shittier than you would expect sometimes depending on whose kid it is or what the story calls for i think the thing with children is that they are all at once is that they are a canvas and that canvas can be anything but they are the canvas is still wet and nothing has dried on it yet so those children can and will be anything and everything all at once. And I think the ones that really write kids good are the ones that understand that kids are a tour de force of everything, everywhere, all of the time. A little bit of everything, all of the time. Everything. Oh, God damn it! Now that's going to be stuck in my fucking head. Um, 
but but yeah, it's like I, this is a, it understands that this is a kid who's very cute and sweet and means well and loves her dad, but is also a child that's going to get distracted by a bunch of shit. Is also going to be a little bit of a brat when it comes to like food and all that jazz, and is also kind of going to freak out about stuff and try to push themselves more than their body can handle. I think mm-hmm. I think the show gets kids. And I think Somali is a good kid, and I think Karina is a fantastic is a fantastic actor to really convince me that this is a child, and this is how I feel this child would sound and talk with somebody like Gollum. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely floored by Karina in particular. I will absolutely say they are to me the star of this dub. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. And and I just wanted and I just tried to think of like any like particularly strong scenes aside from like the scene of the finale. But I think another. I think another pretty one, pretty good one is like going back to the whole like uh, Somali trying to pick a fire for the gold, but then the gold getting upset with her saying. Yeah. Is that like later on in the episode like she's. And that later on in the episode, she gets sick after the whole thing, and like the gold goes after her. And I thought that, and I thought that whole exchange where like they both had to have to apologize to each other was handled pretty well. I like Karina's delivery there. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think her interactions with Uzoi were also pretty great. Also, like episode nine, um, the whole thing where. Her tooth is starting to get loose and she's getting worried about it, but she doesn't want to say anything because they I, met the they met the mouse dentist and it freaked her out. Like that was that was Christopher Swindle, by the way. I was very curious. Yes, I believe it. I believe that was Christopher Swindle as the uh, as a mouse dentist. I, I very much remember him from that guy in the Millennium Actress dub. That was fun. Um. But I like that, actually, because it's like, to us, it seems like a silly little concern. But in a world where nobody really understands humans, and where the humans don't understand human things, she's genuinely afraid she's gonna lose her tooth. And, like, that's going to actively hurt her going forward, and she thinks she's going to be in real trouble if it falls out. And she's kind of scared and worried. Before they're like, oh, that's a baby tooth. You're going to grow up back that back and you're going to be fine. And yeah. I like how the show actually shows her without a tooth after the fact. I felt like that could have been a small detail that somebody would overlook. But no, they, they, they keep her without the tooth after the fact. And I appreciate they kept that little detail in. Yeah. And yeah, um, I think it's time we get to uh, the big man on campus, um, Kyle Hebert, which... I gotta say, the dub script writing probably played to played to Kyle's strengths probably better than any other character in the show for Golem. In the specific sense that it's a little more literal, and is that where you're going at with this? Well, I th- personally, I think the best of Kyle Hebert's performances are where he gets to sort of be the gentle caretaker. Mm. And they get to do that with the show, but it's also just like, 
Golem is a very, very stoic, literal character. That's kind of why I compared, like, the Golems in this to Drax from Guardians, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which again is a thing that is a little more difficult to do than some people give credit for, and Kyle does that really well. But I think what really impresses me about the performance is that even though uh, the Golem is clearly meant to be a very soy character and speaks in that way, you can actually you can tell through Kyle's like inflection how the Golem is feeling about like at pretty much any given moment about any particular thing. Yeah, and that is a thing that would be really hard to do in other circumstances, but Kyle does that like that like pretty much on a dime, and it's really impressive. It is very hard to be stoic and still be emotive, and I think Kyle absolutely nails that very specific element down to a T. Yeah, I mean by zero means is Kyle Hibbert's golem monotone. It's just... Oh, absolutely not. He just plays it with a sense... with such a strong sense of stoicism that it takes a little bit more time for you to interpret the emotion he is trying to convey. But the emotion is still there, even if he himself doesn't recognize it. Yes. And... It's also, like, it also does not feel like Kyle is trying to obfuscate Golem's emotions at all. Like, these are things that I don't think even Golem understands Golem is feeling. And it's it's great uh. that, like, Kyle is able to interpret this in such a way. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of really good interpretation on his part, and I really like the way he can kind of, again, switch between certain emotions while still kind of handling the stories of, like, when, uh, like, whenever the Golden's being, like, really strict or absurd with them all, you can actually, uh, you can definitely hear it in Kyle's sound, and then, you know, like, and then, like, later on the show again, and, like, Episode four, where like somebody gets sick and the gold has like run a rattling for medicine, like you f- you, you can hear the pa- you can hear the panic in the gold's voice, even though again, he's so kind of sad stoic and it's like you you literally kind of feel the desperation and it's like, dude, it's in the middle of the night. I would require medicine or something. I mean, I don't, all of the medicine that would work for the best is like oh, that's gonna be pretty pricey. Here is the money. I will give it to you. Yeah. And then also at at the very end when everything is said and done, um, Golem has to engage his attack mode to go after the the hunters who kidnapped Somali. Oh God! And then when that... he is done, um, he is just left in absolute wreck, and he's trying to process everything. And the literal last line he says in that regard is. Unknown. I love that specific line. It was very much like a gut feeling of I don't know what the hell's gonna happen from here. I I love that he delivers that with that level of like genuine uncertainty. Like he's so certain about so many things. And that was like You know what that reminded me of? What? A certain line from a certain family man we know of as Vin Diesel. 
You stay. I go. No fucking Oh my god. Holy shit. That was the same kind of emotional gut punch I got from just... Wow. Holy shit. Wow, I hear it now. Oh, man. It is that very similar... Oh, fuck, I hear it now. Yeah, I can hear it. God. See, see... When you said Vin Diesel, my brain immediately went somewhere else. So then I... Uh, Yeah, my brain... I I immediately thought you were trying to make some kind of Fast and the Furious reference. Somali, do you know the most important thing that is critical for a growing child as they are developing in this world? A very strong family. 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 Father? Father, are you okay? I appear to be skipping. Please help family. 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 Father, you're scaring me! Family. 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 It is important, Somali. Make sure to always cherish and love your family. 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 And and then you'll know, like, after he stops, she will she will then tease him later and being like, I am a I am a important member of father's family. 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 I do not appreciate that gesture, Somali. I was having critical failures. Oh boy. Kyle's great. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the attack mode fucking scared the shit out of me. God damn it! Oh my god, it is... It is the Iron Giant! Yeah! You see it now. Fuck! He's got... He has the gun mode! The Golem has the gun mode! Like, oh my fucking god! You see Oh, it now. fuck! Oh, shit! Like, oh. I started to get that vibe when he pulls out the big golem eye that can that can scan items when he's trying to. Um, Which that's a cool eye, by the way. When he's trying to, to haggle with the guy who's trying to swindle him. It's like you you threw it out. I thought you were like doing a bit, but the more I sit on it, it's like oh shit. Yeah, that that actually works way better than it should. And yeah, it. It is a very, when you think about it in that way, it is a very beautiful performance, especially at the end when he's sort of trying to comprehend his own mortality. And it's just like, you know, it's what do you do when you have uh, you have so little time left? Do you push them away and die in solitude and silence or do you spend the last days of your life living the happiest life you can around with the people you love. You could either push them away and die alone in the woods or you can live your final moments of your life surrounded by those most dear to you in your life with no regrets. And that just makes the ending of the show just so much so much more. 
when he decides yeah. to stay with everyone. This was a show I really enjoyed a lot more than I was expecting it to. I feel like I was almost worried that, like, it was going to just be okay. But no, this is actually a really good show. Like, honestly, going into, starting to go into my final thoughts here, um... Yeah, we can segue over that. I... This was a show that I very much enjoyed while it was airing. I kind of kind of fell off on it because, you know, world went to shit. World went to shit. And also, hey, how many other anime are playing at this time that people are talking about more and I'm a little more interested at this time? Yeah. So, coming back to this, um, many years later and... God, I really love this show. This is definitely one of those diamonds in, like, like hidden in stone. You definitely wouldn't... I can see why somebody would, thi would think this is just okay on the surface, or think it's just kind of whatever at the start. Is it, but, is it, yeah, is it, uh, yeah, I think if there is one... Maybe not, like, actual complaint, but just kind of more, like, you know, has that in 2020. But, uh, like, I remember, like, way back when, when Crunchyroll first, like, announced they had the show. Uh, uh, yeah, it was one of the first, like, co-productions that they actively made a big deal out of. Oh my god, this, this was a... I completely yeah. forgot this was a Crunchyroll co-production, and I but guarantee that, you, so did Crunchyroll. Not only uh, was I mean, this... Um, a yeah, so, yeah, Copro. Yeah. They streamed it a week before it aired. And so, and so, uh, yeah, and, yeah, I think yeah, I think it was like one of the first times where they were actually open about the fact that it was a co-production of theirs, which that uh, stood out to me. And they, and I remember like they were playing uh, trailers for it, and I think it was maybe like a New York Comic Con or something like that. And they were playing, and they, and they were really playing up the traffic angle, so. I was kind of so I was kind of expecting it to end, so I was kind of expecting that to have a conclusion, and then it's just you know kind of a to be continued sort of thing, and we don't have a second season, which sucks. It also I, doesn't help the fact that the manga is licensed in a very weird way through like I think it's digital only, and the translation of it doesn't seem like it's great because. Yeah. The title of it is something else in the uh, localization. It's called Samari and the Guardian of the Forest. Ah, uh, yeah. Nah. Uh. Oh. And it also oh. kind of ends on a kind of bummer note in that not long after the um, after the monk after the anime stopped airing. They had to stop production of the manga because the author's health started to decline. That is almost uniquely fitting in a strange sense. Yeah. Because I, I almost feel like the moral of Somali is less... This... Okay, I, I know it's kind of cliche to say is that... It's cliche to say it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. 
but this is really about the journey and not the destination because it doesn't fucking matter it doesn't really matter if somali is going to find humans or not it doesn't really matter in a sense what matters is in this moment right here and right now in his final moments this golem is going to spend his final days with someone he truly loves and cares and cares for him unequivocally yes yeah. So it's it's that weird sort of bittersweet that even if I don't get more of this and we now officially won't get more of this, in the end they still have each other, and that's kind of beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was a dub I w- I enjoyed a lot more than I was expecting it to because of some prior stuff with some of the Crunchyroll Studiopolis ones being a little more hit or miss, but this one was a surprisingly strong hit. I enjoyed this one a lot more. I'm glad I finally gave this a chance. I'm really glad that Julia requested this one for a Patreon episode so I could finally sit down and watch this. And I'm really happy that Sentai put out a Blu-ray for this so we actually had a fucking episode to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. I am glad we finally can get this off the ground and talk about it. It is a show I've wanted to talk about for since it was airing and and with the blu-ray readily available now we finally had the knowledge to do it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah uh, really strong show uh, strong dub uh, pretty easy recommendation Uh, definitely check it out if you get the chance and you know I can probably see why people would fall off of this because it does feel on the surface like a like a poor man's maiden abyss. But honestly, it has a completely different heart to it, and it's really beautiful in that sense. So I would even actually... if the heart is even if that heart is made of molten metal and rock, that heart is still very strong. Yes. Um, I would very, very heartily recommend this. Especially I would to all... people who are sort of into that the the maiden abyss dynamic because this is um, it takes a lot of that aesthetic and it com- weaves a completely different story out of it and it's beautiful in that sense. Do you like Maiden Abyss and Kino's Journey? And do you want a Maiden Abyss Kino's Journey style show where there is none of the uh, Maiden Abyss elements? Involving things such as this child is naked and or peeing and or vomiting and or bleeding profusely out of the mouth. I would say this one is a lot easier to uh, recommend without any uh, asterisks attached. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Just- I love. I love. I love Made in Abyss, but it's all. But I also know the things about Made in Abyss where it's like. Do I recommend this to people? I don't know. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, season two kind of lost me for that reason. It's ironic because, like, the point after I dropped off, everyone was saying, like, oh, wow, they started turning all that down. It's like, dang it. Right as I stopped watching. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, media's fun like that, but sometimes it's just like, I don't want to have to throw a... Sometimes you just want to recommend something where the list of trigger warnings is like maybe a footnote instead of a goddamn Santa wish list. 
Anyways, Somali and the Flying Forest. Where can people watch it? So, um, if you just wanted to stream it, um, it is available via Crunchyroll, uh, both in sub and multiple dubs. And if you wanted to purchase Somali and the Forest Spirit to add to your collection, it is available through Sentai Filmworks. Their Blu-rays are relatively available, and they have regular sales on their own site and write stuff and play of places. It's it's a 12-episode series. It's probably going to net you, like, 50 or less, depending on what the sale's going for. Like, I was able to get it on a non-holiday sale for about, I want to say, $25. So, oh, not, oh, that's real good. not a bad deal. Duly noted. Yeah, I might pick this one up myself, actually, now. All right. And if you wanted to catch up on anything we were doing, um, we are, if you're listening to this via audio feed, we are on YouTube at youtube.com slash podcast. YouTube.com slash podcast. Um, have a lot of video content there. We also have a, um, a separate sub channel where we put game streams that we do on our Twitch. Um, Twitch.tv slash Podcast. Um, Andrew does regular streams. Jet does regular streams. Um, once I get a day off where I can do regular streams, I'll be doing those again. Um, we are... And if you are watching us via YouTube, we also have audio feeds via Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, okay. Uh, At least a, for now. We have a Twitter. We may be doing some experimentation with expanding our social media presence, so stay tuned. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we like to joke and say that Twitch, our uh, Tumblr is dead, but honestly, the Tumblr is kind of a valid option, considering... Yeah. I'm looking at like the t I'm looking at the Tumblr and the Instagrams and like some of the other ones because because we're gonna stick with we're gonna stick with the Bird app until that shit falls apart and it's just unusable, but we're gonna stick with the Bird app until we literally camp. So might be jumpstarting a couple of socials in case. Yeah, might as well hedge our bets while there's bets to hedge. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you wanted to... Oh, actually. So we also have a Ko-fi account where you can um, do one-time donations. We also have a Patreon, of which... This is a Patreon episode, yay! So, um, at our $5 tier, we have Megan's Mom and Dad, Michelle Travis, Julia W., Nico Thanks, Robin, Julia. but with the Yowie-ans, and Victor Mybaroda. At our $10 tier, we have Anthony Brown, Carly Lessacow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, Jared Hawkins, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. Thank you so Thank much, you guys. All. Um, without your contributions, we could not do this show at the rate and frequency we are able to do it. So we definitely appreciate the contributions. And don't forget, because this is our Patreon raffle episode, um, coming up probably within the week or two after this episode comes out, um, we will be holding our seasonal raffle where you get to pick a show and as long as it's dubbed and enough people have access to it, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All Thank right. y'all for watching. So, 
Uh, where can we find you guys on the wide internets? My name is Andrew, mm. aka Classy Spartan. You can find me over on Twitter at MangaMan9000. You will find me on Twitter, come hell or high water at this point, I guess. And you can also find me and my buddy Jet here on Surreal Resolutions Anime News Podcast ONA, where we talk about the latest in anime developments. Which, there's always a lot. There's so many. Like, every every time I wake up in the morning, every week or two, there's, like, one of those, what the fuck, announcements. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes just a genuine scandal. Yeah, that Olympic shit's just kind of fucked up, isn't it? Yeah, um, as for me, um, you can also find me on Twitter until it eventually implodes at Divine Dagger, where I'll usually just uh, be uh, talking about, like, anime news, uh, movie news, cartoon news, or just political stuff, or, you know, whatever's happening, I guess. And, and like Andrew said, you can also find me on another podcast, Podcast OA, where we'll usually be shooting screens about anime news. Uh, sometimes I write stuff for AN and I'm also doing a another I'm also doing another thing for another site that uh, might go up by the time of recording. Uh, I guess I can look forward to that, I guess. Exciting. Nice. Alright, so you can find me on the twitter.com while it lasts at Roots of Justice, where I mainly retweet cute animal pics. Talk general fandom stuff, it's a good time. You should come see me while you can. Um, I am currently looking at options to expand my social media feed. I am low-key doing some writing. Eventually, I will start actually hitting the post button for that writing. So look forward to that. Um, I also have do a thing now where I list off a cool thing of the day. So here is Roots' cool thing of the day. It is a movie that is currently in theaters uh, that I happened to see not too long ago while I was... Kind of stuck in hotel hell while my bathroom was getting renovated. Um, it is a little ditty called Violent Night. Um, it is an action film, whereas our action hero is David Harbour playing Santa Claus. Ooh. Um, and he is up against... Uh, oh, I don't want to spoil too much, but he he's up against John Leguizamo. It's, there's really... It's really great action sequences, like... So Santa versus Sid from Ice Age, got it. There you go. Like, creative weapons and use of the Santa Claus lore. Like, I'd want to strangle that little fucking sloth, too, I get it. <laughs> like, it, it, it's it's great. Santa uses, like, Santa magic it's cool. and, and to kill people. It's, it's hilarious and a good time. You should check it out. TLDR, it is a cool thing to watch on a day. Yeah, hopefully, I believe it's Universal that put it out. Yeah, it is. Um, so hopefully it'll go up on Peacock at some point. Neat. Yeah, hopefully. Alrighty. So with that, um, I think the episode has come to a close. And we're going to go mm-hmm. ahead and... Um... Die. It's been a thousand years. It's time for us to die. I mean... Time remaining for podcast is unknown. Actually, it is known. It's it's pretty much done. It's it's in five, four, three, two, one. Otaku on that, Deba.
願い事